What's up, Lemon Souls? We're about to sit down for another episode on the Lemon Soul podcast. I'm about to get started with Allie on our first ever over the interweb interview, <laughs> and I'm hoping it goes well. So please forgive any of the fuzzy audio you might hear. It's a little different from having someone in the studio, but we're trying to do this quarantine style, and I didn't want to stop making content. It's important no matter what it sounds like, and I am just absolutely elated to share Allie's story and have you listen to her just beautiful brain at work. We talk about so many different things and this intro is just not going to do it justice. Allie is a incredible writer and a literal, literal beam of light. Here we go. Please listen carefully. Well, welcome to the Lemon Soul Podcast, uh, computer edition. Social distancing edition, quarantine yeah. edition. Quarantine edition. I love it. I love it. Okay. I want to jump right in because finally I have someone to like talk to about this because I feel it so strongly. Um, talking about like as a creator, um, feeling like you haven't gone through enough to like be worthy or like your your content isn't valuable because you haven't gone through enough in your life to like have people uh, relate to it or connect to it or even even like it. So I did my, my MFA um, for the last two years. They graduated last May and there was something called a mismem, so a miserable memoir. And there was this whole trend of everybody trying to outdo each other. And it kind of started with that, that book, The Glass Castle and um, the Joan Didion one, um, shoot, A Year of Magical Thinking. Okay. She writes about her like losing her husband. And so everybody was like, oh, this sells. Like, okay, I'm more miserable than her. I'm more miserable than her. And then everyone's just stacking up and, and just talking about misery and, and coming out of it too, of course. Like they're beautiful books as well. But, but it, I think that's kind of where it started where people started feeling like, oh, well, I've never been miserable. So I couldn't possibly have anything of value to write. Like everyone's going to be like, oh, she's too happy or okay, must be nice to have had this beautiful life. Right. And, and I mean, we all have our own struggles. Right. So I, I try to focus on that, but really, and, and that's kind of where I talked about falling into this like comparison. And I, I do have like a history of falling into that. And, and so immediately when you read something like that, you start finding the misery in your life, Mm -hmm. but then it kind of makes you miserable now. It has like the, oh, like a, a trickling effect. Exactly. Because you're like, okay, well, I need to always be miserable so that I always have something to write about or create about. That's so crazy that like to hear like someone else say that because I remember like being very young um, and again, just writing poetry and just writing stuff for myself and uh, reading, I don't know if it would have been considered a meme at that time, but it was like um, a broken heart makes the best art, something like that. And I always whether it was subconscious or not, felt like I did that. I always, and maybe I was like putting myself into that position as like, when I was upset, that's when I wrote. And it was like, that's when I, how I coped. That's what made my poetry good was because I was sad. And then when I was happy, I wasn't writing. I super hear that because I've been in a lull for a couple of years now. I mean, I, I'll go through spells, like depending on <clears throat> if I have something going on with my family or my sister or something, then I'll have that resurgent of this artistic I don't know like energy and but I don't get that in love anymore because I'm super happy in my relationship Mm -hmm. um so I I've been trying to find it elsewhere and yeah I'm I'm like why am I looking for misery and then yeah my some of my best writing was when I was you know lonely or when I was going through heartbreak and 
And I mean, even if you look way back in the twenties, like most people that were writing or creating, like they were depressed and they were writing through depression or trying to make themselves depressed in order to write. And I was interviewing somebody um, for the drive magazine when we were doing our mental health issue last year. And she was talking about bipolar disorder. And I was like, okay, so I, I was still kind of in this place. I didn't realize like, I didn't know any of this yet, really, even in myself. And I asked her, oh, do you feel like your mental illness makes your writing better? And she was like, "Mm, I'm going to stop you right there. And I was like, okay. Um, I'm like, okay, I'm I'm super into it. Like, tell me what you think. And, And she's like, I don't believe in suffering for your art. And she's like, I'm so sick of that. And she went on this whole tangent about like, you don't have to suffer for your art. I'm sick of that because then you have people that, remain in these, you know, um, unhealthy habits and unhealthy places and unhealthy relationships because this, because society tells them you have to be miserable in order to write good art. And she's like, I've written great art about being happy. And so as soon as she said that, I was like, okay, what, like, how can I write about happiness and joy and, and observe really beautiful people or write about other people's triumphs? And, and it is possible. Like it's, it's there. It just, it's different. It's a different type of energy and, and you can still write from pain, but don't seek out pain in order to write. Writing is, and any art, is a really good way of getting yourself out of pain, but don't confuse that with, oh, I need to be in pain to create. It's like, don't let pain validate your art because you can't, but because I feel like um, we are to- like are told, so maybe it is um, like, again, like a subconscious thing to, we just know that the pain brings out a part of us that otherwise wouldn't be there, but like not getting stuck and being like, that's the only way. That's not the only way. No, no, it's not. Right. And, and people didn't know that, right. You look at Hemingway and he was really scarred from the war. And instead of healing himself, he's like, Oh, I'm making good art and I'm just going to keep drinking and go to bars and just keep being angry. And, and yes, he was a wonderful writer, but you can feel that there's this anger and we have no idea. He could have been an amazing writer without that, but he would have written about different things. He just, he did write away his pain, but at the end of the day, then he, he became attached to that pain. And like, I don't know how much you know about, I, I was very obsessed with him throughout my undergrad and yeah. watched all these weird documentaries about him. And, and yeah, he, he was unhappy and the only constant in his life was writing. And when he couldn't write anymore, he killed himself. And it was like, yeah. Okay. Again, he was just suffering for so long and just only knew suffering. And then when, when that he was, was actually happy and, but couldn't write anymore because he was probably happy. It was like, okay, I'm done. That happens with so many different forms of art, right? Like it's not only just writing, but painting singers that happens to singers like left, right and center and like artists, like it's, it's not just like in one capacity. It's like a mediums across the board. Wow. Create creation is that like release. And then it's like, if I can't, create what am I feeling am I feeling and like it just is like the spiral effect that's a that's a great one like do I even know how to feel anymore I mean yeah right you look at Demi Lovato and and all these people who go through these lulls and and they have um type of any type of mental health mental illness whatever you call it and and yeah when they feel like they can't create they don't feel like themselves which is very valid because I often feel like that too but I've been trying to recreate that and say who am I other than an artist? Because I think that it can be a really hard label to fall under, especially right now when everyone's just trying to make money off of their art and it's 
it's still very, very hard. Like it's super hard to make money off of your art and it sucks because right now as we're quarantined, everybody's turning to art. Wow, it's almost like we're of value. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden we matter. Oh, thanks. I know, you're like amazing, right? But it's it's beautiful to see and I'm hoping that when we kind of come out of this, people realize that it's the minimum wage workers, that it's artists, it's all, and it's not the 1%. Yeah. Because what are they doing? They're hiding in their bunkers. They're not doing anything. Artists are creating without wanting any money. You've got Broadway people putting on free shows. This is it, right? And and so that collective of artists really comes together. And and anyway, I kind of went. That's okay. That's what happens when you're on the podcast. We It's a conversation. It's a good, that's what happens in conversations. We flow. So the other question and like what I, because I, I have always heard the term imposter syndrome. So I don't like, I never really um, knew what it was, but someone told me that I had it and I was like, what, what is this? Um, so then I looked it up and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't do too much digging on it because I just am lazy and I was just like, Google, what is this? Um, and he told me, uh, or she told me, <laughs> it, it told me, uh, <laughs> But it, it, it's almost that when you were, were talking about like not being good enough, I immediately thought of like that moment when I was like, do I have this imposter syndrome where I feel it? And I feel like this on the podcast. I feel like this when I post on social media is like, what, what gives me, what reason do I have to be on here spewing whatever I have to say? Like what makes me so important? I don't have an educational background in psychology or mental health issues or you know, and I'm discussing these things based on experience. Um, but I haven't, you know, I feel like my story isn't big enough or grand enough. And I know you can like, as we were talking about before, like relate to that. Do you feel like it's similar to imposter syndrome or do you feel like it's different? That's a, that's a great question. Cause I was looking at it when you had sent it to me and, and it's definitely branching off from imposter syndrome. And I mean, imposter syndrome is also so broad. And, and again, it comes with everybody wanting to create and yeah, feeling like you didn't suffer enough and, and all of that. And I feel like that's definitely a, a, a branch of it. And, and yeah, feeling like a fraud of feeling like, well, yeah, why do I get to talk about this? And someone's going to figure me out. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's so true. And I think sometimes it can really prevent us from creating our best because who are we creating for? And it's, it goes into comparison. And I think just acknowledging it and, and saying like, yeah, I, I'm comparing myself with you or I'm, I'm, I am jealous of you in, in this sense. Right. And, but, and, and I did talk about this a little bit in the intake form and about this like pie and it's that American wealth pie. And I mean, it's been talked about here and there and it's about, you know, how it's the economical wealth pie and how the 1% takes the most of it. And there's only, because they, I don't know. Yeah. They think that they can't share, whatever, whatever. Yeah. I think that the pie is bullshit. There is no pie. Like there is enough because the pie means that there is only a definite amount, right? And it's split up and it's not always split up equally. And that's the whole point. And that's why the 1% love it. Um, but when, especially as a woman, I think when you're told that there's only that one piece of pie for you, you're like, well, she can't have it. I'm going to have it. Mm -hmm. You look at films, there's one leading lady role and everybody's fighting for it. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants that part. And then instead of saying, oh, that's great. I'm so happy that she got it. It's like, she got it. That means that I'm not good enough. And all of a sudden it's like reflecting back on us. Mm -hmm. And then you have women pegging themselves against each other and saying, 
well, she's awful because we feel like if we bring them down, then that means that next time we might get the part. That's intentional. That wasn't an accident. Like that's fully intentional. Like there's not enough for everyone. So let's make them fight for it and, and fight for that one piece. And I think that's kind of where imposter syndrome comes from too. Cause it's like, well, if they're better than me, that means there's no room for me in this space. That means I suck. That means I can't do it. I don't even know if it's a, it's an internal thing. I totally think it's a societal thing and it is very intentional and it still lives today. Right. Cause I mean, it, it might not be as prominent, but because it's, it's been so ingrained in us and it's been ingrained in our, in our mothers and our grandmothers. And, and you can even see it in the business world. Like you see these older businesswomen who had to fight to get a place, but they didn't really change anything. They just, they got the place. I am not stirring the pot anymore. No. Here I am. Yeah. I but can. they're essentially, yeah, just playing the games of that masculine um, room, right? Um, which is great because they got the place and we yeah, wouldn't like be able one. to. Exactly. Yeah. But the key is a lot of these women then think, well, I couldn't change the rules. So why do you get to change the rules? Mm-hmm. And it's not always like that. I've met women from both angles. Like my mom is a business owner and she will be 50 soon. So she's in that age demographic. She knows a lot of these business women who are like, some of them are like, oh, I you know, suffered. Right. So I'm glad that you don't have to, or there's, I suffered. Why don't you have to suffer? I think that's why there's imposter syndrome. Cause it's like, well, I didn't suffer. So why, why is it so easy for me to be in business in creative industries? Like I got pretty good grades. I had friends. I didn't like, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. here I am. And not only is like, it's like not even like, why should I be able to do this? But it's like, why should I be able to make money? doing this because that's like the next tier of like making money from your art or or from whatever you create is like a next level of like being validated and you want to like if you want to pursue the thing that you love doing and I feel it all the time because I'm constantly like what should I do with lemon soul should I monetize but like what like what is worthwhile for other people like what again it's that it is it's that like I feel like I'm a fraud like I feel like why should I make money off of this and it's like a constant I think about it like probably almost every day because you could because people it's it's of value people love listening to it you set up a patreon and and yeah you can make money off of it but because there are other artists probably that suffered and aren't making as much money people aren't donating to them whether it's just because it's not their style or, or whatever, but you feel like it's your burden and you're like, yeah. well, I shouldn't be making money because they're not. 100%. Like it is. It's it's such a like recurring on a loop circle because I'm like, okay, maybe I could. And I go through like this good thing and I come up with like a couple ideas of how different ways with the podcast, but maybe more so like with the brand itself. But I, it's funny because growing up in a family business, um, my dad you know, I've learned a lot being in the family business and it's very, it's not emotional. It's, we work in electrical wholesale. It's not an emotional business, obviously. Um, but as an emotional person and with the brand, it's, it's based off of people's emotions and my emotions and having connections that it's like, I feel wrong if it's just a business to be a business. I need it to be something that is going to benefit someone else. I need it to mean something to someone else. And I, and I and to you and to me right yeah and it's like I can't do something 
and make money off of it unless I know that the both sides, but the other side is receiving something that's meaningful. And that's a whole other level of like, is that valid? Like, is that like, where do I put a price tag on that? Well, and again, this is like, because our traditional economy says, oh, just make money. Like these are, these are essentially your jobs. Make money. Doesn't matter. Don't emote. Don't feel. Go to work. Come home. Do your stuff on the side. Yeah. Business as usual. Right. And, and I really think this virus is going to, it's going to really shift our economy a lot. I think I don't, everyone's like, oh, let's get back to normal. And I'm like, our normal was not okay. Like our normal needs to change, especially in the States. But, but it's complicated with Canada because it's kind of like with our indigenous rights, right? Cause it's, it's there, but like, because we're so kind and like Canadians are so nice. It's like, look at this, look at this. Don't look behind us. Oh, we're so nice. Um, and, and I think that's with our economy too, right? We're getting all this money and small businesses are getting money, but like, where is this money coming from? We've been in debt. Mm-hmm. And then if you look deeper, it's like, you know, Trudeau's talking to all the oil people and you're like, are we going to bail out oil? And again, it's this like, yay, small businesses, we're going to pay you, we're going to pay you. But like, where is that coming from? So anyway, but these are all things that just need, need to change. And, and we need to do things with emotion. And, and yeah, we just have to stop like su- suffering. And, and we've kind of rebranded it recently. I was thinking about it before as like the hustle, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of fading, <clears throat> but you still see it sometimes with like, especially yeah, with, with women being like, well, I'm, I'm hustling. I work so hard. And you're like, this is just the same suffering. You're, you just feel like you have to suffer in order to justify a vacation. And I think I had messaged you yes. <laughs> when I was going away and I'm like, I feel like I don't deserve to go away because I've gone away four times in the last year and other people don't. So that's not fair. And what did I say to you? You're allowed to enjoy life. <laughs> and it comes from, yeah, like, oh, well, I, I am sorry that I make money and I'm sorry that I work really hard and, and now I'm going to take my, my break because you see other people d- that don't do that mm-hmm. and they barely take a day off. And that's, you know, their prerogative, but you, it's again, that comparison of, well, why do I get to, oh, maybe I shouldn't, that feels wrong. It's funny because I can give advice, but I can't take my own advice. <laughs> when I think about like, oh, I'm going to be taking a vacation. I'm like, okay, well, how much can I take? And are the re- I work, I'm the only female and I work in a group of men and all of our clientele is men. So I know when I'm gone, it's the conversation at the counter of, oh, where's Sierra? She's on fucking vacation. And I'm like, yeah. like so those are the things I think about. But I, I, I think about them and then I work through it because I know it's what they think and what their perspective is, is not a reality. Um, and it is, it's like a hard, like, well, did I take a vacation last year? How has it been six months? Should I take another one? Like not when you need it. Yeah, no, not when I need it. And it's so funny because it, it must be societal because like my, my parents have always been those people like take vacations when you can. We used to road trip all the time, like on weekends, even just small ones. Like we'd go to a national park, like just mm-hmm anywhere we drive an hour two hours and then come back that same day but it was that fact that we just you know got into a car we woke up that morning and my mom was like we're going on an adventure like let's just let's do it and no matter what like financial situation we were in or anything like they always they won they never really told us because they were like this is not your burden which I loved and we talk about things now as we're adults but I don't think that kids ever need to worry about that mm-hmm. and and yeah, and we always made time for, for fun. It didn't have to be big. And this is why we didn't want the big gadgets or like the Wii when it came out. My dad, I remember my dad told us, he was like, I went to the store and I saw that they had a Wii left and they were like pretty much all sold out. 
And so he came home and asked us, like he was, he always tried to like figure out if we did want it, but he already had bought it. And he was like, Oh, did you guys see that there's a Wii? And we'd be like, like look up from our books, like, yeah, we don't really care. And he's like, Oh my gosh, I got this Wii and they don't even want it. (laughs) But so like, it wasn't, it wasn't in my household or anything. Like it, there was always abundance. Like we were never lacking. And then it, it was really throughout my teen years and everything. And you hear, other people. So yeah, that's kind of a good example of, yeah, I had a pretty good, like I had a a good life. Like my parents struggled and stuff, but I didn't feel that. I didn't feel like I had, I owed something, but then you hear about your friends struggles in high school and you, and then it continues on through university and you see your friends having to like pay for their university degrees when your parents have saved up your whole life for you to go. And you're like, wow, I really don't, do I deserve to be here? Like I didn't work this hard to get here. Why, why did, why did I get parents that decided to save for me? Like, that's not fair. I'm going to, I'm going to struggle. and I'm going to work extra hard, even though I don't have to and work three jobs. And you're like, yeah, why? why did you do that? Why didn't you yeah. just sit and learn? No, because we feel like we have to earn what we get, which I don't think is uh, innately a bad thing. Um, but it's like, how far do you push yourself before it becomes unhealthy? The, and this is it. It's finding that happy medium because yeah, you want to work hard and you want to have that, but at what point is it just like unnecessary? Yeah. yeah. Emotionally and, and physically and everything. And it's like, I don't know how you change that. Like, I don't, it's a mindset that you change. I guess these conversations help, help change it, but yeah, I'm going, it's, <laughs> on, it's an ongoing thing. Right. And yeah, for, and it is forever. I want to talk a little bit about like your childhood and like what you were like as a kid and being like the quiet, would you consider yourself like introverted? Because I know you like later in life, right? Like, you you are in plays and you're so bubbly and I get it because if what I'm thinking like people see me as bubbly and outgoing but like mm-hmm. I consider myself select selectively extroverted <laughs> I guess I kind of would as well and 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 yeah being in plays is a huge part of how I like came out of my shell because theater people are all introverts pretty much like we are all introverted together it's hilarious like you'll see on Facebook, we'll have these like little threads and someone will be like, oh, I'm introverted. And we're like, what? So am I. And we're like, how do we go on stage and do this thing? Because you're all comfortable with each other and under- have that like mutual understanding. Yep. And and you just get to be goofy. You don't have to fake anything. And and when you're on stage, you get to be somebody else. You have lines and it's a, it's a nice creative release, right? And and like, I've always loved singing and dancing and and all of that. I would have loved to have done it professionally, but I had to choose. I, I love doing it. I don't need to get paid for it. I do it totally out of love and, and passion. But uh, but yeah, it was it was hard as a teen because, you know, we didn't really talk about introverted or extroverted. Mental health wasn't really a conversation either. Anxiety wasn't. And I, I was pretty similar to who I am now, except I wasn't as tapped into what was happening in my brain. And I, and I wrote, but I wrote more for fun. And I was just so preoccupied with like fitting in and as most teens are. And and then you realize, oh, I don't care about those really simple things. And I don't even know if I I wrote about this, but I like, I drank a lot in high school because it was like the one moment where you feel like, oh, whatever, I can say anything. I can be comfortable. And and it's, it's a good time. I, th- I think that's a, why a lot of people drink in high school or continue to drink later in life, right? It allows your, your inhibitions go away and it allows you to just be free and not think of, you know, like you're not constantly overthinking about like 
what, you know, you just, there's just so much more freedom when you're intoxicated. <laughs> I know. And then you feel like you can talk to all these people and you're not wondering at that moment, like, are these people really my friends? Like, I'm sure they were, I'm sure like they were lovely people. We had a great time and I had a really great high school experience, but it, it always felt like I was trying to be somebody that I wasn't. Like I was too afraid to ask a really emotional question. I was afraid of being weird and and just all these little things. So yeah, I would drink. And then on Monday, you talk about the party that you went to and you drank at. And you're like, okay, good. I made it through this one day. I had something to talk about. I didn't sound weird. It was good. I'm, I'm in. Yeah. Right. And, and it, it just, it's so exhausting. It's just absolutely exhausting because it's that they're not genuine conversations. You're talking about, yeah, the party and the guy and the girl yeah. and the whatever. And, and, and I think, I don't know that I was or am an introvert I just like having these conversations like let's talk about weird shit let's talk about angels and let's talk about souls and let's talk about society and the economy and just things that intrigue me it's funny when like we were setting this up and I was like oh it's gonna be more of a conversation and less of an interview and you know it's just like it's a deeper conversation than normal and you're like yeah like the one we had when we went on the walk in the forest and I was like yeah, pretty much exactly that because we I understand like I thrive off of deeper conversations, things that that are like meaningful instead of just, you know, again like you're saying talking about this person, that person, like it's so surface level. This is why I love doing the podcast because it allows me like the freedom to ask deep questions and for whatever reason it's not weird because I'm recording you. That's even more weird. <laughs> but like it's wonderful. It's, it's so wonderful. And I loved our, our talk. And that was the, was that the first time we had like met up in person and gone? Yeah. yeah. And we were just walking and we're like, do you want to keep going? Like, well, let's just keep okay. talking. And I can't remember even what we were talking about life and, and relationships. And I think we were talking about being lonely and having moved yeah. away. And it's like, what? But it's like when you find your people, right? Like it, be, it becomes so much easier when you feel comfortable with someone to just be yourself. But it makes me wonder, like, do other people not like having deep conversation? And I, and I really, yes. I love exploring. It's true. It's true because I, I'm. Because I've been in those conversations where I'm like, are we all really having this conversation right now? I'm bored. <laughs> I'm bored. Where's this going? Does this have meaning? And people are genuinely like in these conversations and I'm not going to like, I'm trying to like describe, describe this without pointing any, anybody out. I, I really love, like, I love observing people clearly. And, and I didn't realize that so much in, in high school. And I think it would have made it easier, but I think having gone through that experience, it taught me like, yeah, th- okay, those can be valid things. I don't have to love talking about them, but it's interesting to know what's important to other people. Um, and sometimes I'll dive in, but it won't be as long. Um, and, and so I tried doing that with some friends that I was just, we didn't have a falling out. It just like kind of fizzled. We've been friends. Yeah for a long time and and we were you know in this place of life together and we got each other through a lot of things and and yeah we had a lot of deep conversations and then you realize like oh we just have different different interests different levels well and that's the thing is like i don't want this to sound like pretentious that i'm saying like i only like deep conversations like no there is a time and place for the conversation that's lighthearted and airy um but i think it's just like those conversations um are so so mm, socially acceptable so that like the deeper conversations not necessarily are so when you do try and like bring that type of stuff up and you know what as I've gotten older 
that's less true because maybe I've surrounded myself with more people that do want to have those types of conversations. And maybe when you're younger, things are a little more futile, but so maybe that's why. I totally agree. But, but I mean, even as an adult, like there are still so many people like that, that just don't, they don't think about serious things. And, and you wonder why, like you wonder if it's out of fear. And this is sometimes why I'll still hang out with those people. Cause I'm like, why are you like this? Like, why don't we care about the same thing? And Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's environmentalism or something and, and sometimes I can be very like into things. And once I yeah. know something, I'm like, I know this forever and everybody needs to know because I felt duped yeah. for a long time. And I feel like I owe it to somebody to tell them. And yeah. then they're like, mm, I didn't really need to know this and I don't care. I'm like, yeah. why don't you care? Like, wh- how don't you, how don't you care? I have that, those same thoughts of like, how do you not fucking care about this shit? But then I realized like, and it's the same way, like arts are inferior to uh, sciences and maths and stuff is like, we need those people that don't care. We need those people. It sounds fucking weird, but we need the people that are, yeah, like they, we need those people to do jobs. Like, for example, a friend of mine is a, a fireman and mm-hmm. he will tell us stories about things that he, sites he's been to, um, group, like s- fucked up shit. And I look at him and I'm bawling. I'm, I'm having, it wasn't even there. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so, and he's like, he's like, yeah. And I, it, how? I'm like, did you go, did you go to therapy after this? And he's like, no. And I'm like, it, oh, I was always like, oh my gosh, like, that's so weird. How do you not have that emotional, like, th- like pull? And then I was like, oh, that's what makes him a good fireman. Mm-hmm. And like, we need those people. So it is, there's like that both, both sides of it. But being emotional is extremely important for what you do so i want you to talk just a little bit about what you did for school and you know you work so many different jobs and do so many different things um and you know just kind of walk people through like what you do in the city and we can talk i want to get more into like the writing context of like what you do yeah well yeah i I do do a lot of things and that's mainly because i find that i'm less inspired to write when i just sit at my computer and it's like blank page (laughs) and of course you're gonna have writer's block or something when you're just staring at a blank page yeah what is writer's block forcing creativity when your brain is not it's not inspired it's not stimulated like you're you're just I mean I also think sometimes you can stare at a blank page and just write what you think and have some word vomit and then it'll go. I always say that first little bit is the throat clearing, right? You'd get it all out and then you can start writing. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes even after that, you're like, I've got nothing. And some people will just sit there and just think, I have nothing. I have nothing. And then you're on this constant negative loop and you're like, I have nothing. I can't write anything. And then that's when you get stuck in writer's block. And then it's harder to get back into creativity the next time, even when you have an idea, because you remember the time where you were uninspired. And I think that's really what any type of creative block is it doesn't really exist. Mm -hmm. And so I work um, with Vanessa at Gertrude's writing room and it was her who had really said it for the first time to me, Vanessa. um, She's like my mentor and we always say we're so in love um, because we (laughs) we had met by by chance. Like I was doing um, a content calendar for a magazine that I write for and she, one of her classes was on the Windsor Wright website and I was like, oh my gosh, it's, uh, it was about fiction and I had just finished my creative nonfiction uh, master's or I was just in the middle of it and I really wanted to work on like fiction and novel writing and kind of combine, um, combine stuff in, into the book that I was writing and I called her and, and she seemed so surprised. I remember she was like, where did you, where did you find my thing? And I'm like, oh, it was on 
well, when's it right? And she's like, oh, that's great. Sure. <laughs> and it ended up just being me who signed up. And, uh, and she was like, well, I'm happy to just do like a one-on-one mentorship for four weeks if you want. And so essentially we just got like four weeks of like, we were talking about my book. She was helping me. And then we just like super clicked and, and had a great conversation. And, and then I, I had broken down to her cause I'm pretty transparent about like money and how I'm feeling. And I just like, I messaged her cause again, I, I really, really think and thought of her as, as a mentor. And I was like, I, I just don't know how to make money in this medium. Like, how do I make money as an artist? I just don't feel like I can go back and work. Yeah. at a restaurant I just I, I truly don't think that I can I know that I could mm-hmm. and if it came down to it I would um, but just emotionally and and again not wanting to tap out that social energy because I can't do a lot of those surface conversations I was like it will destroy me it's when I was working I worked in the service industry for so many years and like in downtown bars like it was not for me at all like I was very good at it it was absolutely exhausting Um, but yeah, so I I confided in her and she was like, listen, it's not going to be a lot, but I need some help with my social and I'm not really good at social media. So I can give you like this much and be on my team essentially. And then it kind of turned into this like thing where we started talking about the creative levels of the business and, and yeah, so now we're kind of this like beautiful team, but yeah, so she, I, I get a lot of my inspiration and stuff from from her because she's gone through so much and she's this badass mom and she is an amazing human like she is so fucking cool for everyone who doesn't or didn't follow my page several months ago doing that writing course like I did we did four Saturdays of like a writing course and you and Vanessa um, led led it and it was like the most invigorating experience and the like warmest um the warmest atmosphere to like be a part of because you never really know what you're going to walk into but I knew you and I was like well this is going to be fucking great <laughs> it was and and on the other end of things like teachers are always nervous too because you never know what type of students you're going to get and you're like yeah is this going to be people that don't understand that like writer's block is not a thing like are they going to take that well or is someone going to get really angry and be like well no I stared at my page for 10 hours I know writer's block is real and you're yeah. like okay yes it is for you it is real (laughs) so it's yeah it's it's a give and take and and she does create a very warm environment but but we talk about that all the time we're like dive in when you have something to dive into and and that's kind of why I have all these different jobs because I love working at my partner Dane's farm because I'm there I'm in nature and nature really stimulates me and physical work stimulates me and and gets me thinking about my body and and everything and I love writing about like women's bodies and and just the experience of being a woman in general and and being strong and and people not knowing how strong you are and all these beautiful things and and reclaiming power so that really helps me and then you know I teach I teach dance for um for Windsor Light Music Theater and we do and that's creative completely but again moving my body and and I get to work with these awesome kids who are super passionate about theater and and it's creative in a different way. And then I ended up, end up like just being so inspired by them and, and what else? And then I write for the drive magazine. And then I just started a business of my own with my kind of a branch off from my mom. Yeah. So it's called grown lady garments, but I mean, you know, but I, not everybody may know, um, which is so it's sad because my launch was supposed to be like this week coming up. Tell people about like what it is. Thanks. Yeah. So um, I've always been really into fashion. I mean, my mom has too. And, but we've, we've always been really passionate about 
good fashion and, and quality. And actually I was looking through photos of my mom the other day and like through the nineties. And she's like, when she moved here, she's like, I didn't shop at the mall. I shopped on Polisher. And I'm like, well, now I know where I get my shopping habits from. Like I, I really admire quality, but something that has changed for a lot of people recently is this idea of, of quality, but also sustainability. And, um, and I remember for a while I was buying really expensive clothes thinking, well, it must be good because it's expensive. Um, and then after doing a bunch of research and, and stuff, I was like, oh, those brands aren't sustainable or ethically made. They're just expensive because the CEO is making more money. And that really bothered me. And that I think I had mentioned that earlier, just feeling like duped a little and, and feeling like, oh, I'm, I'm tricked. I was tricked. And I think so many other people are tricked. And I wanted people to know. Yeah. So I started posting a lot about sustainable fashion and like fast fashion and and for people who don't know what fast fashion is which a lot of people still don't I I spoke at this event for teens and it was grades six to eight and I asked which of them knew what fast fashion was and I think maybe five people raised their hands out of we were in the Chrysler theater so if it's like a thousand something people mind blown some of the teachers raised their hand but even not all the teachers raised their hand And so I was like, okay, yeah, fast fashion is essentially what you see at the mall. You know, your trends um, come and go and and there are new trends every week. There are new clothes every week. Usually the clothing is made out of polyester, which is microplastics and because it's cheaper and faster to make. And usually there is a person on the other end of it making it for almost no money at all. And they're usually in Bangladesh is like the hub. Of, okay. of everything really Vietnam too but Bangladesh if you look on most tags it's made in China made in Bangladesh made in Vietnam mm-hmm. um, and they're not getting paid very well and it's mainly women so these are like two things that I'm super passionate about right feminism and environmentalism and it's mainly low-income women who are in these in these factories inhaling fumes they have reproductive issues they have health issues and it's like how can you possibly buy that yeah. after knowing this so yeah. I was posting about it and some people really responded well and, and I actually got a really good um response from some close friends of mine but they weren't they never really responded at first and then all of a sudden someone messaged me and they were like I went to the store the other day and I immediately turned around and was like Ali would not want me to be here and I was like yes I'm someone's moral compass this is fantastic <laughs> um and I mean no shame because I understand that sometimes you financially can only purchase something from Walmart or something from Joe Fresh. I super understand that. But there's also the added element of like, some of us are just buying to buy because it's on sale, because it's cheap. And why not? Like I could use another t-shirt. It's only $3. Where is this coming from though? Why is it only $3 if you're breaking that down? So I was talking about it a lot. And again, as, as a writer and an advocate, I, I was and but I, I found myself like not being able to shop in Windsor very much anymore. And, and I was like, okay, I need, you know, new bra or new underwear. And I was like, where, where am I going to get that? Where am I going to get a nice t-shirt that I can actually try on? And if I'm going to pay, you know, $90 for a t-shirt, I kind of want it to fit me and I want it to look nice. Um, and I talked about it for so long and, and especially to my partner, Dane, and he just had an earful all the time. And he's like, well, why don't you start it? I'm like, oh, because I already invested so much in my degree. I have three degrees. <laughs> and I'm like, that was my, that was my investment. Like I am a writer. And he's like, but you don't just have to be that. Like, and there are so many grants for women and everything. And then it ended up being through the Epicenter, um, which is 
the entrepreneurship center through the university of windsor and they had this pitch competition and essentially it was partnered with legal credit union and they had said if you get in um so i think there were 11 groups and four people got in and you got an eight thousand dollar grant to start a business so i was like okay i'm gonna pitch it's a you know 10 minute pitch with questions and i was like if i get in i will do it but like i'm just not in a financial place to invest and take out more loans like and again i'm super transparent about money and, and everything and i'm like this is not something that i can do um so i was like if i get this though i'll make it a pop-up my mom owns a boutique already with like italian ethical um clothing and it's super beautiful and i was like okay so i have a space she's she okayed it because she's the best and um i ended up getting in obviously it was a lot though because i was still working full-time um as a writer and and all these other things plus um plus doing shows monday thursday nights and dancing and doing all the stuff like we did matilda last time we're doing chicago now hopefully um and uh yeah so then i graduated from the program at the end of january and picked all these brands so i've got three brands this time because i really want to start small and not have bunch of inventory because I think that's a big problem too is usually when we see more things we tend to want to buy more Mm -hmm. and this has been a controversial topic um in the business world because I'm like well fewer better and people are like well no don't you want to sell a lot like sell I'm like no that's, that's not the point of my business and I don't feel good about that being my business I don't want to sell just to make the sale. And that's why I'm not going to stop being a writer. I'm not going to stop all these other things. I want multiple streams of income so that I can say, you only have to buy this one thing because you need this one t-shirt. And it's going to last you a really long time because it's made of linen. It's made of good cotton. It's all being harvested well and people are getting paid well for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the name Grown Lady Garments came because I have this magnet from Shop Eco and it says, um, you're a grown ass lady and you can do what you want. <laughs> And I was sitting in my bathroom because it's my thinking spot and I'm sitting there and, and I was like, you're a grown ass lady and you deserve to know where your clothes come from. And I was like, that's a great name. I'm not going to put ass in my name, but grown lady. It was grown lady at first. And then I'm like, no one's going to know what it is if it's just grown lady. So I was like, grown lady garments. It has that nice bit of alliteration with the two G's kind of rolls off the tongue still, even though it's a long name, but it kind of goes into the, you sh- you deserve to know, even if you can't. And, and it, how fashion does contribute to, to climate action. And, and you don't have to buy a lot and you don't have to change your whole wardrobe either because that's not something that's sustainable. Like you would have to spend so much money to switch over your wardrobe and where are those clothes that you already own going yeah. to go? So it's not only just buying from me if you need that staple item, but also just telling people where would you have? So I'll kind of post photos of like outfits that I already have in my closet and saying, you have these things. You don't have to buy something new because you feel like you need a new outfit or you're bored of it or well and that's where like advertising comes in right like that's just marketing why am i why am i buying this t-shirt because um the ad on social media or tv told me that i need it told me that i need to keep up my fashion sense so i need the new biggest best thing and it's not even like a thought like people don't like you don't actually think about it that way that's why it works is because it's subconscious and they're sending you to the store to just pick out whatever's on the rack because you need to be fucking the coolest person and it's not healthy (laughs) unhealthy it's mindless people don't realize that they're not connected to their clothes anymore it's all disposable Mm. like you wear this on your body every single day and yet you're like "Eh, disposable like everybody has those couple of pieces that you're like you wear that all the time don't lie like you love that my down with my demons sweater i wear this like 
95% of the time. <laughs> this is it. And we all have those outfits because they make us feel good. It's from good material or just like it flatters you. You just love it. And, and shouldn't we feel like that about our clothes all the time? Like yeah. every single piece, like why do we have closets filled with clothes? You know, it's so interesting. So I've been moving from house to house. I'm moving again shortly. So I moved from one house back home and I'm back in this house and I know I'll be moving again in upcoming months. So I challenged myself when I was moving to put most of my stuff in storage and I brought one box home of clothes. So I have five sweaters. I have like, I have like my socks and underwear, but I have like very minimal stuff and what I realize is I don't even remember what I'm missing I don't even like remember like what have I what is in the boxes of clothes that are in storage because I don't really remember two I wear the same like I'm being forced to wear the same thing all the time but I wear the same thing all the time I wear a black t-shirt a black tank top a black pair of pants a black sweat like all my shit's black so and I've never really been a shopper so that's also easier for me to say because I've I've never really had that urge to like my coping mechanism was never to just shop. It was always to, again, do art or something else. But it it has been interesting to be like, I took one box home and I have like 30 things, two pairs of pants, and I don't miss every, like I don't miss anything else. Because you don't. And, and it's just that consumerist um, behavior of like, I need more. And we have to have more. We have to fill our closets. We have to fill our homes with junk because we have to show people that we have objects. So I have like, I have two sides to this because I watched like the minimalism documentary year that came out like two or three years ago. And I remember being like, whoa, I need to be a minimalist. I need to get rid of all my stuff, yada, yada, yada. So then I was like convinced that I needed to have less things, um, which- Does this bring you joy? Right. That whole, th- yeah, don't get me started on that. I, I couldn't even watch it. I couldn't even get through it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a like I'm not a minimalist. Well, and that's but don't you like I feel conflicted because part of me is like I should have less stuff, but then where does that it, stuff end up? Where a where does it end up? Like I want to I love the stuff that I do have. I do have junk drawers, and I'm working on getting rid of that stuff. Um, but the art like I I focus because I'm again because I'm moving. I have thrifted and antiqued so much stuff, like. My storage room is is mostly 90% just like really weird pieces of art that I found. And I'm like, Sierra, you're not being minimalist. But that's all I can think about is like how it's not like, I'm like, is this ethical? Is this right? I have so much stuff. I shouldn't be having so much stuff. But it's, but it's thrifted, but it's antique. Like, so I'm constantly like, is this okay? Is this not okay? There, there is like a shame behind like having stuff and buying something, treating yourself like there, even though, even though everyone's like, yeah, treat yourself. There's still this underlying, like, I'm still kind of judging you. No, screw that. Like do what you want to do. And, and I don't think minimalism is super sustainable because you're going to have memories. Like I'm going to, yes, I'm going to keep a t-shirt, even though I don't wear it, because I'm going to look at it and be like, that was my house league t-shirt in grade five. I freaking love it. I don't wear it ever, but I love it. And that's okay. Just like we have photo albums and things that don't serve any purpose besides bringing us memories, but that can be enough. That is enough. It's just about feeling connected to things. And I think when we are overly cluttered with like too much junk, like it can make us forget about the connection to those things but I think if you keep a lot of stuff and all those things bring you connection and and happiness I think I've also always like prided myself on not being like a materialistic person 
And I think that my that like mindset has made me be like, whenever I go to buy something, I'm like, I'm always like, do I need it? Do I need it? And I used to go to shopping and be like, I get really excited really fast. If anyone knows me, I'm like super easily excitable. So I see something and I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta have it. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And then like, I've gotten myself into habit because I was constantly just, again, buying things because it gave me that immediate rush. Mm -hmm. And then like now I try, yes, exactly, 100%. So now when I have that, because I can't control it, I'm just easily excitable. I look at the thing and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to finish my shopping around the store. I'm not, and then I'll come back. And then the instant gratification has worn off. And 90% of the time I'm like, I don't need it. take a picture of it just to enjoy it because it's true like and and shopping is like a whole mental health habit too right because when you are really happy you shop when you're really sad you're like I'm gonna pick myself up and and shop right but then sometimes it can be avoidance too I mean there's there's the it's a yeah I'm glad that you're doing that walk around because I always like to just walk around come back if you still want it great yeah I've had people shop with me and they're like I'm not shop because I like. Do you need it though? And like I say it out loud, and they're like, "I'm not shopping with you anymore." <laughs> I'm like, I'm, "I'm sorry." And that's it. We just can't shame each other for each other's mm-hmm. habits. And I, I really try to do that too. And and I got into a little like argument with somebody, and I don't do that often. Like I'm not a confrontational person, but I really don't like when people shame other people's habits. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm super environmentalist, whatever. But I am the last person that's gonna like be like "Mm." you have to do it this way one way one way only yeah exactly and and I really I you know it's it's a hard habit to get out of because we want everybody to think the way that we are and 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 create this nice hub but at the end of the day like some people are just gonna have different beliefs Mm -hmm. and this is okay and and we just can't like we can't keep shaming each other as as humans as women as whatever like because that's life is already freaking hard like, if you need that thing, just buy the thing. Like, mm-hmm. if it's really going to bring you that much joy, awesome, do it. But just think about it. Like, yeah. whatever whatever I say or whatever someone else says, it's just meant as a reflection. And if you're feeling some sort of trigger from it, as bad as it sounds, like, sometimes that's not a, it's not about me. Mm-hmm. And I can't get deep into that because sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, I upset them. And it's like, oh, this is not about me. And But they have to know that, too. Like, okay, maybe don't keep fighting with somebody when you know it's a, it's a you problem. In, in a really compassionate way, I'm saying it, but like sometimes it is not, it's not your problem. Let people do what they're going to do because at some point they're going to figure it out. Hopefully it's, it's just like with parents, right? When they try to force their kids into doing something and you're like, that kid is going to rebel. They're going to do the opposite of what they're te- you're telling them. Mm-hmm. So let them make the mistake and figure it out on their own because they will. And if yeah. they don't, not your problem. Yeah. And I have found that the best way to help people or guide people um, into doing things that are good for them and good for others and good for the planet is to simply lead by example. You cannot, like you said, you cannot force any ideology down someone's throat. And if you're trying to, that's like the reverse way to do it. Exactly. It's like my dad told me not to get piercings and piercings were bad. Do you know how many piercings I have? My dad hates tattoos. Do you know how many tattoos I have? Like, and I 
think subconsciously I did that. I don't think I was ever, I never on purpose was like, oh, my dad's gonna hate this. But I think subconsciously I wanted to prove to him that like I can have tattoos, I can have piercings and still be a good person. Um, but the other, the other thought, that's a total side rant. Um, but my other thought, I wanted to make like a whole episode just on this is about how we present information to each other and like how we present information to each other is more important than the information itself. Because you can tell someone, there's so many examples I could use and I don't want to offend anyone, so I won't. But you know what I mean? Like I had someone come to me and say like, this, this, and this is wrong. And I'm like, so you're, te- so you're immediate, my immediately get defended, right? Or you immediately get offended. Yeah. Am, I, am I wrong? Blah, blah, blah. I'm not wrong. And then people get shut off. Whereas if you approach it in a way that people don't feel ashamed of what they're like, there's just so many other ways to address all types of situations that don't put people in a position of feeling like they're in the wrong. Even if maybe some fucking times they are. I'm in the wrong sometimes too. A lot of the time. And yeah, that shame and like, who needs it? Who needs it? Like, I don't want that in my life. Yeah. There's an appropriate way to to go about spreading information like that. And it's, it's hard because when you're passionate about something, you immediately want everybody to be passionate about that thing. Mm-hmm. I get it. I've been there. And I, you follow down the loops, you get into the arguments and then you realize, was that worth it? Did I change their mind? Nope. Probably not. <laughs> but then when you do it and you yeah, change your lifestyle and post about your lifestyle, like just from your experience, people are like, oh, wow, she looks pretty damn happy. I'm going to do that. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that out, right? And, and then maybe it'll work, but then maybe they'll find their own little pocket of, of happiness. Maybe they only get halfway there, but that's better than not going at all. So if, if we can get people halfway to something that's going to, again, better them, better others, better the planet, that's better than not doing it at all because we push them away with forceful, forcefulness. I don't this know. is like, I like, I'll still go shopping with my friends. Yeah. And it's funny because some people think that I won't and they're like, oh, you probably don't want to go to the mall or you don't want to go to the States shopping. And I'm like, oh, go. I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to buy anything. Right. I'll buy a pretzel. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'm not going to buy anything else. And for some people, it makes them really uncomfortable because then they're like, oh, should I not be buying something? Right. Because if they feel like judged. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. but I, again, then I have to be like, yo, this is not me doing this, you're saying to yourself, oh, I, this is a bad habit. So I like having that conversation and being like, I will go with you because I don't want to miss out on that experience. Yeah, that's memories. And then, yeah, and then I'm hoping that, you know, my not shopping will inspire someone to just be able to go and have that experience of walking through something, admiring something and being like, maybe next time. Yeah, exactly. And at least, at least at some point, whether it's the next time they go shopping or the next two weeks, two years, they just, even if they just have that second thought, it's maybe they won't go through with it for the next six times, but even if they have that little alley birdie on their shoulder that says like, just think about it. That's like, that's progress. That is enough. Okay. So I started doing this thing um, a couple episodes ago. I have like, I have, ooh, I have a booklet of 365 questions and I want you to give me a number and I'm going to pick a random question. You have to answer it. I'm trying to feel the number come to me. 34. This is actually interesting, an interesting question. Okay. For, for what we've been talking about. Would you rather have less work or more work you actually enjoy doing? Oh, more work that I actually enjoy doing. Yeah. I love, I love doing things. I do. And that's why I feel like I have so many jobs. How does that affect like your mental health? Is that good for your mental health? How has that been like 
a challenge, even though you love doing it? Has it been hard? I feel seen. (laughs) Also, because I can relate on every level. So, so it's a funny time right now because as soon as like quarantining started happening, I was like, oh no, I can't go anywhere. What's going to happen? Because yeah, I do a lot of things because sometimes you just don't want to face certain things that you've been avoiding. Um, And I love all those things that's like, oh, what all those times that I said I didn't have time to clean my house uh that wasn't the case this is me with writing like I'm like oh, I don't have time to write my book anymore I haven't had time to do this and I'm like oh that was not the case I'm just super avoiding it because I feel like I don't have much to say etc so I'm going to the farm instead now and I'm like oh Dane really needs me I have to be at the farm so then yesterday I was like I'm not gonna come to the farm I'm going to just sit and read and feel not enough and then write and it's probably not going to be good but I just need to start like just stop avoiding it because I like if I want to be a writer if I want to publish a book if I want to do all these things I have to be uncomfortable and which is different than suffering yes (laughs) it's different than suffering but I there is discomfort in it because it's like you have to go through all that imposter syndrome you have to go through all your triggers and like I'm not writing about super horrible stuff, but there's a lot of stuff that, yeah, you know, I went through and I'm avoiding and I don't want to talk about Mm -hmm. and, and stuff. And it's like, okay, how can I dive into this for 10 minutes and then come out of it and, and cure my mental health a little bit? Yeah. Cause it's more than just in the moment, right? Like there's, you write, you write being creative, especially when it's heavy stuff, you deal with that. Once you're done, it's not just like done and cut off. You're still, you're still in that. Exactly. So I think that's why I like being busy because it's like, well, it forces me to just go into a state of emotion for a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's about, yeah, past relationships or how I was feeling or like, you know, my parents or my grandparents or just anything that I'm writing about, like I emote a lot. And then it's like, okay, well now I have to go to rehearsal so I can just shut that off and I'm going to go dance and feel good. So I actually quite like being busy for that reason. But then I found that as of late, like I was so busy that I was fully avoiding. Yeah. Like, I know because one of the questions you were asking about the book and everything, and I'm like, I have not written it, any of it. Yeah. I think about it constantly, but I haven't actually written anything for a really, really long time. It's, I know it's like hard to acknowledge and, and like, again, say, and you were like, I feel seen. But even for me personally and anyone listening, like it is refreshing and nice to hear the vulnerability and honesty of someone who writes for a living having trouble writing because that is the fucking epitome of life. <laughs> I know. It, it, and it is like, and you're not always going to have these big moments of I can write. And that's why it's good to yeah go and be busy and, and be inspired. And I, you know, write about my theater experiences, but yeah, I, there's a difference between I'm doing this because I love it and doing it out of like, well, I'm good at it. So I should do it. Mm-hmm. Cause that's another thing. And I've really realized as of, as of late that, you know, I'm, I'm good at what I do, mm-hmm. but sometimes I feel like I'm, everything's still raw. Like I'm still writing from a wound and I'm like, I'm not really ready to go there yet. Like yeah. I need for it to heal. I need for it to be a scar and then I can go back and write about it. And, and that's why most people don't publish things until they're in their forties or fifties because come on, you've got to live. Yeah. You've got to live. And, and, and I've really been giving myself that peace and ease now that like, okay, I can be good at something. And that doesn't mean I have to do it all the time. That doesn't mean I have to write every day and, and be good at it all the time. Like 
I can do it later. I can collect these thoughts and ideas and write about it later. And there's time. There's always time. Like we feel like time is fleeting and it is, and and we're afraid of that. So we feel like we have to make the most of it right now, but also don't let that stop you from living. Yeah. Because writing and any art can really do that. Like you're trying to capture these moments, but I'm like, oh my gosh, life is happening right outside. Go live. I a hundred percent feel that way about photography and film because I, I know, and I love it so much. And I know that it's something I'm good at. Um, and I feel like a lot of people think I should be still doing that. Um, and it took like, it was like a year of when I was shooting, not even really full-time, but full-time when I was shooting more often as like a business, it was, um, it was fun at first. And then it got, it just made me so like paralyzingly anxious and like, I would ball my eyes out before going to sh- do a shoot and it was something I loved and then once I did it and it was done I was like oh I feel so much better oh I love these photos but then I was like on this loop of like panic and adrenaline okay that's okay okay now we're gonna do another one and then it it was like exactly. I feel like I should be doing it because I people like my work but it's killing me yeah. and stepping away from that was was really hard and I can totally relate to that feeling of like do I just do this because because I'm good at it no 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 sometimes you don't have to do the thing you don't have to monetize the thing that you're good at yeah exactly because that's a whole other thing I know and it's different for everyone right because some people like that is their thing and that and they they monetize it and fuck yeah and they love it and things are good like go for it it's different it's a totally individual um, process all right last question this is my favorite question to ask everyone if your life was a photograph what would it look like I don't know, like melodic and flowy and just kind of like lots of vibrant colors and like really woo-woo. And like there would be just be a lot of swirls and like a sun and then, but also like rain, but it would be like flowy kind of rain and kind of the elements all together. I feel like that, that would kind of be it. That is your energy. <laughs> it is the most, be- your energy, I like I've said this to you before, it is, it's just like this beautiful, genuine kindness like you're just like the epitome of like sweetheart honestly every time I'm with you I'm just like I feel so good right now I did that thing where you ask your partner like all these questions and you have to write down exactly what they say yeah and and one of the questions was what am I good at and Dane said he's like you're really good at making people feel good I was like you are success in my lot in life (laughs) (laughs) because I, I don't know it just it brings me joy too like I I just think so many people aren't heard Mm-hmm. in life and if I can be that person that hears something that no one else could hear from them like and it just changes their day like why not man that is the perfect way to end this fucking episode man my heart just was like yes 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 absolutely <laughs> and that wraps up another episode on the lemon soul podcast I am absolutely equally invigorated as I am feeling very zen after that conversation with Ali she honestly brings out the very best in me uh, creatively and intellectually. She is such a wonderful, uh, encouraging uh, human. I cannot thank her enough for everything she has done for me and all the support she's given me through my own um, creative journey. Please follow her Instagram at abeans, that's with two A's in the word bean, um, as well as following her on Grown Lady Garments because that is, it's still coming, it's still happening, and we just want to spread as much love as possible, especially during quarantine. So until next time, 
Have a fucking great day, y'all.